All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting edition of the Bakery Podcast. It is I, your scatterbrained host, the one that's got ADHD, and it feels like his episodes are all over the place. But this one, this one, I have notes. I have notes that's pretty much almost a script. Um... But first of all, I know what some of you are thinking. Where in the flying fuck is the music? And I'm going to tell you right now, there's not going to be one. There's not going to be any music from here on out. And you want to know why? Because some of my podcast friends have been getting copyrighted strikes on their episodes that use music either in their intros, throughout the episodes, or the outros. And I don't want that to happen in this podcast. I really don't. I love this podcast. I do it for fun. It's a goddamn art form. And now I'm going to go on a rant here. And for somebody... To tell me and anyone else that, hey, you're not allowed to express your art form is bullshit. None of us profit from these goddamn episodes. We do it for fun. Now, granted, yeah, some of uh, some of the podcasts have Patreon. Yeah, they're making money off of a subscription base. Not the fucking songs alone. But you know what? These fucking record companies and Spotify, I, Apple, um, Universal Media Group, they all just want their fucking cash. That's all they want. That's all they literally want. And they just want to keep... They just want to keep just the little engine that could as podcasting they just want to fucking control it that's all it is is they just want control and that's just sad it really is it's sad so we'll segue into the first topic podcast update um so now from here on out no music whatsoever unless i'm told hey can you promote this which, more than likely, I, I don't know if that'll ever happen. Um, I do help promote Shy Shiloh's music when I can. Um, right now, um, recording a podcast is really fucking hard to do right now with a laptop that's broken. Like, the screen's broken. I can still plug it into a monitor screen and do all that stuff, but the computer is very, very slow. And, but it did just update, so we'll see how things roll. But, I'm just not going to play music anymore. But from here on out, I'm going to be discussing, you know, topics that I want to talk about or topics that are just timely to talk about. Like, for example, in a couple of weeks, I'll be talking about SummerSlam 2020. Because I totally forgot that SummerSlam was this weekend. Today is Tuesday, August 20, August 18th, my bad. August 18th, 2020, and SummerSlam is this weekend. Really excited for that pay-per-view. I can't wait to watch it. 
um, somehow, some way. I don't know how I'm going to be able to watch it right now. I don't have the network. Um, but yeah. So look forward to that one. Uh, next week, I'll be talking about how I found uh, wrestling again. Uh, <clears throat> wrestling again, sorry. And uh, the Nexus. The faction that brought me into wrestling. I've got so many stories to talk about. And my own fucking thoughts and opinions on the Nexus and how they were booked and handled in 2010. That's right, 10 years ago. An entire decade. So I'll be talking about that. But now I'm now moving forward. The format's still going to be the same. I'm going to talk about either a singular topic or like today, it's going to be multiple topics. And you can just skip around to whatever one you want to listen to. And also the topics are going to be highly researched. Except for like next week, you know. Um, That'll be like my own personal stories, but... Other than that, they'll be definitely researched uh, in in some good detail. So please do um, stay with me if I take at least a month or two uh, when I'm researching a big topic. If an episode doesn't drop every week. Or maybe I'll do some research on a little tidbit uh, on the big topic. Yeah, you know what? I'll do that. I'll do research on the... A little research of a whole big topic and separated into parts. Like, for example, Alice Cooper in the 80s. I'm going to do the Blackout era and then the um, comeback era of Alice Cooper. And boy, let me tell you. Well, actually, I don't even know if I'll be able to do that because I did want to play some songs on there. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Whatever. But there's that. Uh, moving forward, I do want to explain to you guys why there hasn't been a steady flow of content in co- in this COVID era of the world that we live in. And I'm going to tell you why. I am so mentally, mentally and physically exhausted from my job. And I'm also the world's worst procrastinator and time manager where I have procrastinated this episode alone for about a month, two months and 17 days. That's right. It's been a while. It has been a while. But boy, Jesus, a lot has happened in in those two and a half months. And my job being one of them, it is literally, I have wasted all of my energy into this fucking company to get nothing back. People ask, some some of my friends go like, hey, what did your job do to reimburse you for working during COVID? And I respond with, <laughs> I got rewarded? Oh, wait, yeah, I did get a t-shirt and a somewhat significant dollar raise. I mean, granted, Granted, a dollar raise should be a big deal, but it's not when I don't have any fucking time to spend any extra fucking money that I do have. Because I'm constantly fucking working. And 
by by the time that I get home from this shit job, I'm so fucking tired that I don't want to do anything. And on top of that, I've been in the deepest, darkest depression that I have ever been to where I'm just going through the fucking motions. And part of it is that job. Part of it is that job. And trust me, in the coming weeks, I will be discussing in long form the most toxic fucking environment, the most toxic lack of communication filled fucking work environment that I have ever been a part of. Granted, there is the good, the bad, and the ugly. There is some good sides, but there are some really shitty sides to where I work. And I'll explain that in its own little episode. Because boy, do I got a lot to fucking say. And I know some of you guys that are co-workers of mine are clamoring for me to make an episode about this, about our workplace. And it's coming. It's coming. You just got to give me a minute. You just got to give me some time. But from here on out, I'm going to try to stick to a weekly release schedule as best as I can. So please bear with me. And I do thank you for listening for as long as you guys have. So moving on, topic topic number two. No Ohio State football, ladies and gentlemen. No fucking Ohio State football, and boy am I pissed. Not because we don't get Big Ten football in general. I mean, yes, I'm. I, you know what? I'm pissed. I'm pissed. Two out of the five Power Five conferences canceled this year because they had players that decided to unite and hold the NCAA liable if they catch fucking COVID. I mean, that's human fucking decency. But the fact that these players spoke up and have their own little platform and got fucking punished for it is absolute bullshit. And this is coming from a goddamn fan. I'm not a player on any of these teams. This is coming from a fan. I feel for the fucking players. I feel for the coaches. You guys fucking did everything in your fucking power to flatten the curve. End quotes. Flatten the curve. Social distance. You tried your fucking hardest and you were told, hey, we're going to have a season, guys. Here's your release schedule. The only person that I, the only conference that I do believe that didn't release the schedule was the Pac-12. The Big Ten released one and they said, fuck it. We ain't having a season. I was so fucking excited. Ohio State would play Michigan October 24th, three days before my 25th birthday. And now you know what I get to do on my 25th birthday? I get to sit at home. I get to go out and go record store day shopping for the album that I absolutely fucking adore and love so much. Slave to the Grind by Skid Row. One of the hardest original vinyls to find because it was made in a... Here we go. It was made in a time period where vinyl was kind of phasing out, but that's beside the point. I'm pissed for the family members because it's come out in the last couple days that the families didn't. They have had no communication with the Big Ten, and that's fucked up. That's fucked up. And you know what? These university presidents that voted no to cancel a football season and fall sports, you know what they only care about? 
academics. They don't give a fuck about these football players. They don't give a fuck about the work that they put in. Ohio State football probably makes the most amount of money for the Ohio State University compared to all the other sports. Compared to the other sports. It's absurd. It's literally absurd. Now, I'm not going to get into, like, really big detail on each and everything that went down on in the Big Ten's decision to cancel football and all fall sports. If you want to listen to that, go listen to Zach Smith's Menace to Sports. You're not going to regret it. That dude has got some great insight. And I hope in the in the hope I hope in the coming days and weeks and months I am able to get him on the show to talk about this bull this literally travesty. It's literally a travesty. And I'm not saying it because I want football during COVID, because I do fucking want football during COVID. I want a sense of normalcy and I hate that fucking phrase. I want to feel like we're living a normal fucking life again. Where there's football on Saturdays and there's football on Sundays. And now, my Saturdays are going to consist of probably cleaning. Because there are some teams, yes, I do care about in the SEC and the ACC. But honestly, they're not going to make it to the national championship games. They're not. It is what it is. It really is what it is. But now... Now it is finally time. It's finally time. It's the moment that you have all been waiting for. I am going to be talking about what was my favorite Motley Crue album, Theater of Pain. And I say was because you'll find out that Theater of Pain... Just ain't a goddamn name of an album. It's literally a roller coaster ride of emotions. So, without further ado, here we go. Released in June 20, June released on June 21st, 1985. So this album is about 35, give or take, years old. I think, yeah, yeah, 35 years old. Let me do the math here, because that doesn't seem right. I was born in 95, so that's 25. Yeah, yeah. So, 35 years old. But, unfortunately, I wasn't born in 1985 or in the 80s, so I didn't get to discover this album until 2015. Um, While I was listening to the Rock and Metal Combat podcast... Uh, which I had only discovered a few months prior. They did a review. They absolutely shit on it. And I just was like, ah, oh, nah, man. Nah, I like this album. This album's great. This album's fantastic. Now, I want to preface this. This is the first Motley Crue, like, full, full-length full studio album that I had. That I had bought out in Arizona at an FYE. Uh, that day, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I rode my bike, took a bottle of water, because it's fucking Arizona. It's hot. Dry heat. Took a bottle of water, took what money I had, and I went to the local FYE. And I got in there, was browsing, found Theater of Pain, and I found the Rage for Order. And I went back home, 
downloaded those episodes on my, uh, I think I had an iPhone at that time. No, I had an iPod. And downloaded those episodes and listened to those album reviews and then listened to the albums. Um, not simul simultaneously, isn't the, a uh, back-to-back. There we go. But at the time, all I really had of Motley Crue was two Greatest Hits al albums, uh, Greatest Hits and Red, White, and Crew. So, basically, all the, you know, that's all they are, was Greatest Hits. All the hit songs and some unreleased stuff that I had never heard before. Yeah. Yeah, folks. I was one of those uh, Greatest Hits CD buyers, and I was still in that phase. And on top of that, I was a young 19-year-old kid going on 20 years old, and I barely did any research into discographies unless it was my favorite band, Kiss. However, of course, I had already heard the two hits on this album, Smoking in the Boys' Room and the, and the ballad, Home Sweet Home, which now I cannot absolutely fucking stand those songs. I really can't. It's because I've heard them so many times on the radio that as soon as I hear Smoking in the Boys' Room, the start, of, the start to Smoking in the Boys' Room, or the piano and Home Sweet Home, I switch to a different radio station. But I'm definitely gonna get out, get into that as I, um, as I talk about those songs when I get there. This album top number six in the U.S., uh, number thirty-six in the U.K. album charts, and went quadruple platinum in 1995. But without further ado, uh, that's the that's my backstory. At first, I really enjoyed this album, and now. It's a steaming pile of poop. It's a steaming pile of shit. But without further ado, if you have the record, get ready to hit that and get ready to put the needle on on the first song and listen along with me. If you have the CD on your iPod, go ahead and hit play because now you can start listening to City Boy Blues. Now, now all these songs, now usually, here all, I'll talk while you all are listening to the album in the background, if you will, if you want to. If not, just listen to the sound of my voice. Now usually, with my album reviews, I would play music, but I already discussed that early on in this episode, why I'm not going to do that. So that's why I recommended that you listen to the album, either after you hear my thoughts, or before I you hear my thoughts it's up to you you guys do what you want but all these songs besides um smoking in the boys room uh were written by nikki six and i'll get into that in a minute so city boy blues it's an okay album opener in my opinion not really my favorite song on this album either it it's really not the one saving grace is the opening riff which goes like this I fucking absolutely love that but other than that it, that's about it for me this song really could have been a lot later in the uh, track listing because there's a song on on this album that could have started this record out with a goddamn bang and whoever the fuck did the track listing 
Oh, I wish I could find you and smack you upside the head. Because City Boy Blues ain't the song to open an album. I gave it a 2 out of 5, but now that I think about it, I think I should give it a 1.5 out of 5. Alright. Moving on. To. Oh, God. Smoking in the Boys' Room. This song is on a whole new level of suckage. On top of this, as I originally thought, this isn't even an original Motley Crue song. This is a fucking cover. And, oh my god, is it fucking overplayed on the radio. Literally, flip on any classic rock station, and they'll play three or four Motley songs. And I'll go as this. Too Young to Fall in Love, Looks to Kill, Smoking in the Boys' Room, Home Sweet Home, um, I think I said no. Too Young to Fall in Love, Dr. Feelgood, and Kickstart My Heart. I just named seven songs that you're going to hear on the radio. Maybe a few that you won't. But Jesus Christ. Even in an interview, because I got some of my research off of Wikipedia. I know, not the world's best source. But even Mick Mars said in an interview, this the band tried this song early on. And it just didn't work. So what the fuck made them think that it worked would work now? I mean, for God's sake, you go listen to the uh, remastered version of Shout at the Devil. And they have a song on there called I Will Survive. That could have been on this fucking record. And it fits the goddamn theme of the fucking record. And I know what you're thinking. What the fuck is the theme of this album? I'll explain it to you here in a little bit. But I... And I'll explain to you why I think I Will Survive could have fit on this album, too. Uh, in a, in a couple of songs. I just don't... Uh, God, this song sucks. It's an instant skip song for me when I go and listen to this album all the way through. It, it really is. It's just the biggest steaming pile of shit. And I listen to Brandon. Now, some of you... Some of you Motley Crue fans, I put that in quotes, don't know what the fuck Brandon is because you only go about... You only go from what you hear on the radio. Oh, and the dirt. Go look up Motley Crue's Brandon. This song and another song on this album and Brandon can go hand in hand with a big old pile of shit. Next... Oh, god damn. This next song, Louder Than Hell. This song should have been the fucking album opener. It is killer, no filler, in my opinion. It is such a killer fucking track. And why wouldn't you start a heavy metal album with a song 
that says louder than hell. I would have fucking started the album with this song. Start the album off on the right foot and then play fucking City Boy Blues and then go on from there. And then just, you know, the thing with this album is that it's just such an up and down fucking... It goes from sucky, it goes from okay to suck. Good to suck. Good, good, good to suck. And you're gonna and you're gonna hear my thoughts. Um on one of these songs later in the track listing. But Louder Than Hell is not my favorite song on the album. Um this this song is a leftover from Shout at the Devil. Um it it was once called Hotter Than Hell. They brought it back for this album, and as they should have. This song is short, sweet, and to the point, and is a definite motto for metalheads everywhere. Literally. Next song. Keep your eyes on the money. Oh, fuck. This song is an absolute filler track. However, knowing what I know about Nikki Six's heroin addiction, I now see the song in a different light. I see this as him uh, self-reflecting at the band's hard-parting lifestyle, with the lines, with the lyrics of comedy and tragedy, entertainment and death, and dancing on the blade as the crowd screams on for more. At this point, Motley Crue is out on the top of the fucking... Is at the top of the world. Drugs, sex, rock and roll. That was Motley Crue. You don't believe me? Go watch the fucking dirt. Go watch interviews with the band. Go... Uh, just search Motley Crue... Motley Crue partying or whatever on YouTube. And you're probably going to go through a goddamn rabbit hole. Oh, sorry. I didn't give my ratings for Smoking in the Boys' Room and Louder Than Hell. I gave Smoking in the Boys' Room a 1.5 out of 5 and Louder Than Hell a 4 out of 5. So it went from okay to suck to good. And then we went, you know, kind of mediocre. And that's all I literally have for Keep Your Eyes on the Money. I mean, it literally... It literally is Nikki Six telling him, hey man, keep your eyes on the money. Don't keep your eyes on the drugs. And we all know how that turns out. Alright. Here comes one of my least favorite Molly Crew songs. Home Sweet Home. Boy, do I not like this song. But I do love power ballads. I love me some good ass power ballads. This ain't one of them. I this is another song when I go through the album I instantly skip because I've heard it before. Literally, I've heard it before. It. Oh, it I even skip it when I hear it on the radio. I go listen to something else. But, unfortunately, I do have to give this song credit where credit is due. This was the last song on the end tour that was played in Los Angeles, California. 
this was released as, this was released as a single um, on September 30th, 1985. It charted at I think that said 84 on the Billboard Hot 100. And here's some here's some shit. And I don't know if this is true or not. But during the music video for this song, Nikki Six was so strung out on heroin that he wandered under a stage and began discussing family music and death with an imaginary person. With that being said, I honestly believe this is Nikki Six's cry for help. Do you see what I mean now? Yeah. You see the theme? This album, to me, and by the way, that's the end of side one on the uh, this album to me is Nikki Six's cry for help. That he is spiraling out of control on his heroin addiction. And it's starting to really, it's really starting to take hold. Sorry guys, again. Um, Alright, so beginning of side two. And what a way to start. Side 2 with my favorite fucking track on this album. And this is not liked by a lot of Motley Crue fans. For whatever reason, I just saw a post like a couple days ago where there was a guy that said, Not my favorite Motley Crue song. But, honestly, again, this is my personal, opi personal opinion. Um, by the way, I gave Home Sweet Home a 2.5 out of 5. So, so far, we've plateaued. But we, may, but we took the rocket and strapped it to this album's ass and took it to almost the top. With Tonight, We Need a Lover. I gave this song a 4.5 out of 5. This song is my absolute favorite on this album. And Tommy Lee absolutely kills on this song. It is, a, it is really a shame that he wasted his fucking talents on rap drumming. Literally. But hey, I guess his claim to fame is he did fuck Pam Anderson. I guess that's just great. This, this song is definitely the one of the best songs on this album. And when the band starts playing faster at the end, it's just ear candy. Perfectly describes the band's rock and roll, sex, drugs, and rock and roll partying at the time. Mick Mars' solo in the song was pure badass guitar playing, by the way. Hell, he's been playing pretty well on this fucking album. So next we're going to move on to Use It or Lose It. This song, if this isn't a song about heroin use, I don't know what is. I gave this song a three out of five. It, I mean, it's a filler. It's a filler too. It really is. But again, it fits the theme of you know Nikki Six is strung out on heroin, and he is the main writer of these songs. So he's literally probably writing with his subconscious in mind. Um. Uh, this is an okay filler song, but it's really not as bad as Keep Your Eye on the Money. And not, and really not as bad as another song that's coming up. But it has its moments. Like, again, Mick Mars' guitar solo in this fucking song. Um, is just phenomenal. Other than that, 
use it or lose it can just pretty much lose it. Doesn't do much for me. Alright, next song. Save Your Souls. Oh, God. Alright, now that I look back on this song, I probably should have given it a 2 out of 5. Because I used to really like this song. I mean, really like this song. Now, I can't stand it. This song, to me, is a hint at Six's her uh, heroin addiction with the lyric... It's been a hard, ro hard road, edge of an overdose, and also for the lyric, for a life so good it sure feels bad. Again, I used to like this song, and after a few times of hearing it, uh, this past week, when I, when I was writing these notes, it just filler to me. But, in my opinion, this is Vince Neil's best vocals on this entire album, and so far his vocals have kind of sucked. And to be completely honest with you, his vocals have always sucked. Next is Raise Your Hands to Rock. God damn, this song is a steaming pile of shit. This song is such a steaming pile of shit. It could have been left off the album and put on the remaster with the fucking... As an unreleased song. Oh, God, I honestly couldn't give this song a zero because I wanted to be generous. But it's some fucking garbage. It doesn't even fit the album at all, and it is cheesy as fuck. Not one of the better bottom half Motley Crue songs. Next. All right. Fight for your fucking rights. The final song on the album. Absolutely killer absolutely killer to the point where at this present point in the recording i'm changing its grade from a 4.25 to a 4.75 which makes this song my favorite album my favorite song on the album i absolutely love it it's a great rebel rouser song and tommy just kills on the drum on this song as a matter of fact this song is like i said my new favorite it is killer in Vince Neil's chorus on some. Uh, and Vince Neil on the chorus is some serious fucking eye candy. Not eye candy, ear candy. Excellent way to end what I label a roller coaster album. I mean, literally, it, it mentions Martin Luther King. Oh, man. I highly recommend, if you're listening to this right now, pause this episode and go listen to Fight for Your Rights. It is absolutely such a killer fucking song. So, as a, as a whole, I'm going to give this album a 4 out of 10. A 4 out of 10. The band doesn't like it, and now I don't like it. And, I, and now, looking back at it, I don't like it as much as I used to. I used to put this album on such a high pedestal. And it's to the point where I can't. I literally can't stand this album anymore. This album has, a, has shining spots, but that is literally it. 
It's got a lot of stinkers. And it's, and it's literally a throwaway. So here are my final thoughts that I wrote. Also, I do apologize if you guys hear a siren. I do live on the main... I do live on a main drag of uh, Pickwall, Ohio. But we're going to try to power through this damn thing as much as we possibly can right now. Hold on. It's, it's coming by the house here. And we're clear. Alright. Basically, my final thoughts are this. Most of this album is a throw is throwaway filler that could have that could have and should have been saved. Uh could have and should have been used on Girls, Girls, Girls. Which that album is a steaming pile of shit too. The band, despite the album's success, absolutely hate and despise this album. Uh, Nikki Six would call it a pile, quote, a pile of rubbish with a few moments of maybe brilliance. Coming from the guy that wrote the fucking album. Mick Mars also claims in an interview this album was more polished and references to sex and violence were subtle, but were still there. And if you go back and listen to, like, uh, Too Fast for Love, which was their debut, and Shout at the Devil, you can definitely... And then go listen to this album. You can definitely tell that it was more polished. Um, the record label was probably telling them, hey, chill out with the fucking sex. Uh, Nikki Six would even blame producer Tom Warman in his... Um, in what some people call a fake memoir called Heroin Diaries for the album's shortcomings. Quote, and he would quote... Uh, he would be quoted as saying... He didn't know how to control us and do what we needed to be done to make the follow-up to Shout at the Devil. And again, that was from Nikki Six's release, Heroin Diaries, released in 2008. Uh, despite its success, I believe it would have been better if every band member had a clear head. But this is my, this of course is Motley Crue we're talking about. After listening to this album for the last few weeks. Uh, this record is slowly becoming played too much as I constantly go back to theater if I want to listen to Motley Crue. My final grade is has changed from a six and a half out of ten at the at the time that I wrote these notes to a four out of ten. It has its highs and lows, but overall, the good outshines the bad, which is more than I can say for what follows. So, yeah, guys, a 4 out of 10 for Theater of Pain. Alright, guys, so there you have it. My review of Motley Crue's Theater of Pain. And honestly, if you're a Motley Crue, if you're a new Motley Crue fan, check out Shout at the Devil before you check this album out, please. I, I, I learned to appreciate Shout at the Devil more after listening to this album because I really didn't like Shout at the Devil because it's got all the fucking hits on it. But I gotta tell you, thanks to my best Josh Lehman, I have grown to fucking appreciate Shout at the Devil and the song 10 Seconds to Love. But, you know what guys, that about, that does it for me. I've got nothing left to say. 
Next week, as I stated before, will be me talking about the Nexus and me finding wrestling again after not being able to watch it for all of my childhood. Uh, you'll hear that story and more on the next episode of the Bakery Podcast. Thank you for checking me out this week, and the bakery is now closed. <laughs>